good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Let Ellie see this text message. Too late. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking keeping the company of Theta Pi bitches. We're talking tricked out tire irons. And we're talking iconic character Charlene Chugs Bradley. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking... Oh, she looks terrible. We're talking sorority <laughs> row, y'all. <laughs> I knew you would pick a Jessica line, which is why I just stayed away from her completely. Oh, I'm so happy to be discussing this. This movie, y'all. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Sorority Row, I don't even know what to tell you. Literally, I have been singing this movie's praises since I saw it in theaters, um, like a good person, although it was a free screening, so I did not contribute to it. <laughs> box office failure um i'm sorry i contributed to its failure i didn't contribute to the box office there we go back in 2009 um yeah this is sorority everyone and we are gonna have a blast today indeed yeah uh we'll get into our histories more specifically but we should note that trace has made me watch this movie (laughs) i think more times than any other film on this podcast because trace we have covered this in an editorial you have covered this on Horrorversary. Mm-hmm. I have covered it in The Bite. And then I think before we started recording, you said that this was the first article you ever wrote for Bloody. Yes. This is, so this is the first like solo film I ever wrote for Bloody oh, seven years ago. And I will say that I did revisit our article on uh, on Bloody for this film, and I did pull some of your quotes because I wanted to n- not to make fun of you because they're all he terrible. He wants to throw it back in my face. People. No, <laughs> I, I I just want to compare because I, I saw your four star review on Letterbox this week, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's higher than I remember him liking it, and I was right. Things have changed. <laughs> yeah, I want to like just point out how film opinions can change. Not throw it in your face. I'm going to be nice mm-hmm. about it, but I also want to read these things because, oh my god, <laughs> some Indeed. you were really harsh to this movie in some areas. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll explain why, but yeah, I think maybe sure. we should introduce the third party in the room. <gasps> oh yeah, we have a guest today, everyone! He is the creator and co-host of the Slash Her podcast in which two friends dive deep into the art of horror and all things spooky and terrifying, please welcome Adrian Ray. Hello. Hi. Thank you, guys. Hi, Joe. Hi, Trace. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you for coming on to talk about Sorority Row. I wouldn't have it any other way. I think, again, I talk about it all the time. I think the stars align consistently for me. And so this film, I think, is just the perfect film to discuss with you guys. So I'm all hyped. Amazing. Let's start there then. Yeah. So, what is your relationship to this movie? Because we'll talk about ours and we'll all like have like fun details, except for Joe, who's a curmudgeon. You know, <laughs> there it is. Yep. <laughs> I'm just really curious because you know this film flopped critically and commercially uh, 12 years ago. Holy shit! And I've seen in the past several years more people kind of come around it's just one of those films where people can discover it but specifically queer men i have seen a lot of queer men <laughs> come around on this film mm-hmm. 
So for me, the crazy thing is with this movie, it came out when I was 14 years old, which is insane <laughs> to me. So it was like peak high school. And my high school experience, I went to a school, my graduating class was 19 people. It was real, oh, wow. or rural oh, New man. Mexico. Yeah. So I was the odd man out in every situation, but I was pretty friendly with the seniors at the time. So I remember they had gone to watch this movie and they came back, a few of the girls, and they came back and they were like telling me about it. And everything that they hated about this movie made me excited to watch it. And I didn't get to watch it in theaters, unfortunately, but as soon as it hit DVD, I consumed it as quickly as I could and it immediately became one of my favorite movies. Nice. <laughs> now watching it back, there's a lot of issues that I didn't quite catch back then, oh, but yeah. it's still, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't deny it's, uh, like, I don't know, like the fun factor that it has. Right. Yeah, I, I will sign off with that. I mean, again, like, this is a four and a half star film for me. I really love this film. Watching it by myself, I kind of enjoy it less on each rewatch because I've seen this movie so many times. So it's now kind of one where I'm like, oh, you haven't seen Sorority Row? Let me show it to you because I really want to watch people experience this movie. And I knew it was doomed from the start because so yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did see I, I was in college when this came out. I would have been uh, 20 years old. And at UT, you know, they always come around. They're like, hey, like, you know, it, it's basically the press screening, but it's also open to the audience. But you have to like get there an hour or two early, wait in line with the plebs and like hope you get in because they give out more free passes than there are seats, blah, 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 blah. Those are always sold out. Like, I mean, sold out. The, the, the tickets are given out. Like, the line wraps around the theater. It's really wild. I knew this movie was in trouble when I... A, there was no line <laughs> for this for this advanced screening. <laughs> and the theater was maybe a third full. And I remember when it ended, too, my friend and I looked at each other, because I brought a friend with me. And I, I looked at him, and I was like, was, was that good? And he was like, I think it was. <laughs> Well, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. This is coming near the tail end of the slasher remake period. Like, really, it mm-hmm. dies out in 2010 with A Nightmare on Elm Street. So this is right on the cusp of that. So I can't help but believe that there were a lot of people who were just tired of these kinds of movies. I don't remember this movie having a particularly good campaign. And it is based on one of the... I'm going to say lesser known 80 slasher mm-hmm. films. I know there's a lot of people who love the original House on Sorority Row, but I think it pales in comparison to something like My Bloody Valentine or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that in terms of pop culture IP. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I will say, and this is not a dig at you, I promise, Joe, but I think I actually do prefer <laughs> it to like something like My Bloody Valentine, like the original film, I mean. Okay. I do enjoy it, but I think that came more from oh, I thought this was going to be really bad, and I had a, I, I quite enjoyed the original, whereas My Bloody Valentine's one of those, like, oh, this is, like, a classic of horror cinema. So mm-hmm. I, I, the expectations game is there. There you go, yeah. And I think part of this is that if you can go into this film with the right mindset, it can be a lot of fun, as you both said. It's just, I went to see this in theaters, so I did contribute to the box office, so... <laughs> Take that, stick that in your wine bottle, and <laughs> shove it. I did not like this movie when I first saw it. Right. I didn't like the female quote-unquote friendships. I thought all of the girls were just hugely bitchy, and the plot didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I just thought, well, this is a subpar slasher film, whatever. And I just kind of 
grew it out of my mind. And it wasn't until I started to have conversations primarily with other gay men where they would start to advocate for how darkly comedic it was and how... Yeah, no one's standing up here saying, these female friendships are great, like, sisterhood, yay, but part of that is, I think, the subversion, like, the undermining of the Greek system and how these sisters do not have each other's fucking back, and they will claw each other's eyes out. I can see if you were someone who's, like, big on female empowerment and feminism and not making rape jokes, this film... (laughs) It's probably not going to be for you, but if you can go into it saying, like, this is not a PC film, but it is a lot of bitchy, catty girls getting murdered, then you can have fun with it. Yeah, and to kind of latch on to the whole campaign aspect of this film, I think really what also kind of attributed to its failure is I don't really understand who they were trying to market it towards. Like, there was seemed yeah, like to be a disconnect. <laughs> yeah, it really should have been the gays, because... I mean, at this time as well, if you're kind of coming off of a lot of the slasher films that were still kind of coming out around this time, like Rob Zombie's remake, there was still like mm-hmm. a push, I guess you could say, for like gore and just over-the-top deaths. And yep. like you go into this movie and it kind of feels a little bit campy in mm-hmm. its approach to its presentation. And I think a lot of people probably were just a little thrown off by that. I don't disagree with you about the marketing because the marketing did sell this movie as a like a straight up like serious quote-unquote slasher film. Yep. No humor was implied. mm in terms of who it's for, Joe, this actually, I, I will take this moment to pull out one of your quotes from our article from three years ago. because, <laughs> right. but, but again, I think it's correct. So what you said was, more than the gripes about the lazy plot, which we'll talk about later, I am legitimately confused about who the target audience for this film is. There's a lot of female nudity, topless extras with pretty revealing outfits on our core cast. Um, Maggie literally spends 90% of her screen time in panties and a man's dress shirt. Yeah. Sure, it was 2009 and the belly-bearing crop top with heels look was still popular, but the costuming in particular feels male gaze ready. And you, and you say, I'm torn. Half the time, the depiction of these women feels like the film is pitched at straight bros who want boobs. The other half feels aimed at girls interested in a band of diverse female protagonists who embody both the sisterhood and the cruelty of female friendships. And so what we're left with is a final product that doesn't satisfy either audience. Damn, she's smart. (laughs) (laughs) I know you know this, Joe. I don't know if Adrian knows this, but here's the thing. So this is a movie about women that puts all the female characters front and center because the men are not characters in this movie. Oh, God, no. Not at all. It is written by two straight men. It's uh, Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger, who people may know. They are the, the writing duo behind Piranha 3D, Jigsaw, and Spiral from the Book of Saw. They've also written a lot of um, episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. That oh, last wow. one does not fit in quite as as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but know, knowing that, especially with the piranha thing, I was kind of like, oh, okay, so like they are yeah. jokers. But here's the thing. The director of this film, Stuart Hindler, is a gay man. Right. And I think that's where maybe some of this confusion comes from. Because here's a quote from him. This is from 2012. He said... He knew that nudity was a major staple of the slasher movie genre. For teenage boys growing up in the 80s, horror movies were the prime place to get your TNA fix, and he wanted to pay homage to that. Uh, He goes, certainly making an R-rated horror movie, you have that expectation. Problem was, instead of casting actresses for the lead roles who had no issue being naked, producers cast actresses who refused to do it, because all these actresses did have no nudity clauses. Yeah, because they're legitimate actresses. Good for them. Yeah. Not that doing nudity means you're not legitimate, but... No, but I think in 2009, 
there was that perception, particularly if you're mm-hmm. a younger actress, like a lot of these actresses had been in other teen friendly mm-hmm. fare. So I can't imagine that they looked at it like I'm doing nudity for a slasher film like this probably isn't going to help my career in the same way it might if it was a Kate Winslet performance in which you take off your top. Right. But it also kind of sounds like from Hendler, and it, I, you know the commentary on this on this Blu-ray, which has Hendler with four of the actresses. It's um, Leah Pipes, Brianna Evigan, Rumor Willis, and Margot Harshman because Jamie Chung was busy filming Grown Ups when they filmed this commentary. Oh, Woof. <laughs> no, ma'am. I'm sorry. But he's like, oh, this expectation <laughs> that horror audiences have. So it reads to me both as someone who doesn't trust the horror genre because it's like oh yeah horror audiences they want tits and a like which is right. your straight broy male crowd so it is male gazy especially in these nude scenes but it's also kind of like this gay man who feels compelled to cater to your straight bro audiences as much as i love this movie i almost wonder what it would have been like if he had just gone full queer camp with it you know oh A hundred percent, because this movie, as you pointed out already, Adrian, already feels on the verge of descending into full-blown camp. So I can only imagine if you could have said, hey, Summit, shove it. I'm not going to give you the straight bro version of this movie. I'm going to make a very queer-friendly, very feminist, but also sly, winky kind of camp fest. I do think that that would have gone down easier. Now, you know, whether or not they would have been able to market it or the audience would have been big enough, who knows. But it feels like the film is taking baby steps towards that and not quite going full hog. Yeah, they definitely didn't try to change the game, I guess, in any way. And it's sad that going into this film, like he was intentionally trying to make something that, again, which is good, a love letter to the slasher genre, but at the yeah. same time, not taking any chances. Kind of like akin to uh, Amy Holden Jones when she directed The Slumber Party Massacre, how she, right, yeah. in her... Like in her commentary on the film, obviously she's not like super thrilled about her work in <laughs> relation to that film. But she said, of course, you know, I put in a, a gratuitous nudity scene with all the girls in the shower to get it out of the way because that's what they're expecting. Right. So it's kind of sad that he in 2009. And again, I mean, the world wasn't revolutionary in 2009 anyways. No. But mm-hmm. the fact that he went into this film with also kind of setting the expectation of what he needs to hit is kind of sad, especially when films like Jennifer's Body were coming out around this exact same time and kind of trying to make a little bit more of a progressive move with the horror genre. Jennifer's Body came out the week after this movie did. Uh, It was a rough period then for feminist-oriented horror. uh Mm -hmm. Or rather maybe female-driven horror, because I I, I don't know if people would claim this film as feminist. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I would not. It tries and it falls flat. This is a film for gay men. That is 100% what it is. Uh, but I don't know if I've said this in the podcast before. No, I have. I have. So I have come down, and I have a point, on American Horror Story Covet a lot. That this right. The third season of American Horror Story. Because my thing is, it panders to the gays. It eschews any sense of plot and character in favor of bitchy one-liners because, in my opinion, Ryan Murphy's like, oh, the gays are fine. Like, give them bitchy one-liners and they won't give a shit about the plot or the characters or any kind of, like, meaning. And it bothers me in that season of that show, whereas it does not bother me here. And I spent my entire rewatch last night trying to figure out why doesn't it bother me here? (laughs) But it bothers me so much in Coven. Did you come up with a revelation? (laughs) Not even something revelatory. I think that even though American Horror Story Coven is kind of funny and campy, I still think it takes itself very, very seriously. 
the tone doesn't work for me there. Whereas, and Joe, this may be something you disagree with me on. I don't know about what you'll think, Adrian. I don't think this movie takes itself seriously. I think this movie is very in on the joke. And that is actually something that you and I disagreed on three years ago, Joe. But, you know, comedy is subjective. So I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, this movie's hilarious. It's trying to be funny. Right. So it doesn't bother me. Like, the plot holes, the stupid um, motive for Andy, which I'm, I cannot wait to talk about at the end of this Girl. movie. <laughs> Girl. Yes, please. But like, none of it bothers me because I'm like, yeah, it leans into camp enough. And it's so kind of, I don't want to use the word silly because I don't think the movie is really silly. Although some script things are. But I don't know. I, I, I can look past literally any plot hole because I'm just having such a fun time watching it. Whereas watching Coven, I'm just kind of like, oh, my God. Stop blowing smoke up your ass, guys. Like, just fucking tell a story. <laughs> no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I do definitely, I mean, even from the jump, when I first watched this film at the age of 14, I assumed it was like a dark comedy. That's just kind of the whole tone <laughs> that it presented to me. And that's what I ran with and have kept that feeling ever since. I don't think it takes itself seriously. Um, and I kind of love that about it. Like, I, I think they knew what they were doing. Although, again, it trips up a lot with a lot of what it presents i still think it's successful and it oh, literally yeah. comes down to the dialogue and just how quick and witty i mean jessica my god is just mm-hmm. she runs the show and without <laughs> her i think the film would probably i probably would have never rewatched if it wasn't for her to be quite honest mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean folks if you haven't caught on that this is just going to be a leah pipes fan worship couple of <laughs> hours you are probably sorely mistaken i'm going to politely disagree with both of you i still hold the mindset that i do think this film is taking itself seriously what i've come to appreciate and the reason that my score on the film has changed is because i i can actually catch the humor more what i realize is that on first watches of this movie the jokes are delivered so quickly and almost unceremoniously like the film doesn't give you a moment to even sit with the joke or realize that it's being funny because it's too busy trying to be a slasher film so i miss a bunch of the jokes or i don't realize that it's supposed to be funny like i'm laughing at the joke a minute after it's happened and somebody's been murdered so (laughs) i've come to expect and hear those lines of dialogue and recognize how funny they truly are And I think that the girls are actually really comedically, uh, they're delivering great comedic performances in that regard. But I don't know that the film is successful at negotiating the comedy and the horror. And this is where I will, we've discussed so many times about how different our senses of humor are, Joe. You you Mm -hmm. really gravitate towards that dry, acerbic British humor. Whereas (laughs) I'm very much more for the lowbrow, (laughs) like American humor. Right. So Adrian, like, uh, when he was watching through the day, he texted me and he was like, four viewings, and I finally guffawed at the, oh, she looks terrible joke. And I was like, wait, you didn't laugh at that joke anytime <laughs> that you watched right, right this from movie the jo- before? Joe. <laughs> no, because the line itself is always funny, but in the context of the scene that it's happening right. in, I don't think that the film is letting the comedy land. And this time I was like, I still don't think it works, but I think that that line is fucking hilarious. And I think that Leah Pipes is fucking hilarious delivering it. Correct. The film really doesn't give anything time to breathe. And mm-hmm. it does take rewatches to really kind of pick up on every little thing that they're dropping in this film. Because yes. like you said, like right after that, oh, she looks terrible line, immediately like they're moving on to Kyle, like breaking into the bathroom. Like it doesn't give you the chance to sit with what makes this movie successful because it's, again, exactly. like you said, then forcing a plot that isn't really going anywhere. Like, Mm -hmm. right back into your face. 
like you didn't need Kyle to break in right then because then you could have let that be funny. But you're so busy trying to insert these men in here who are of no consequence. And, like, nobody really cares about why these murders are being committed. Like, the movie misunderstands what no! it's so good at. I, and nobody I calls 100, the police. I 100%. No, this, this is a whodunit. And, uh, sorry, the, the, the reason when I... Who cares whodunit, Trace? <laughs> okay, the, no, the movie is so ingenious because literally the whole time you're like, oh, it's Kyle. Because the first time I watched this, I was like, okay, well, they're really setting up Kyle to be this red herring. So when he starts going like on his axe murder spree, I was like, oh, that really sucks that they're like, that this is it. Like, oh, this is the one. So... When it finally is revealed that it's Andy and Kyle was just going crazy because. <laughs> See, you're laughing like, oh my God, that's so hilarious. And I'm like, the movie thinks like, oh, we really duped them. We really pulled us with your <laughs> No, but the, okay, we'll talk about the motive later. But I was going to mention, yeah. I mean, this is in terms of the speed of the comedy. I have laughed at that joke from the get-go, but maybe it was because my theater was empty. So no one was laughing at it to like. There we to go. Cover, you, to cover up the line. <laughs> you could hear everything. But, like, I mean, like, I don't know, like, this maybe isn't a good comparison, but, like, did, Joe, did you watch Gilmore Girls? Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes, but I haven't watched it, like, all the way. Hey, so that's a show where, like, I mean, people people that don't like it, I've always heard they talk too fast. Like, there's no room to breathe. It's just... And I'm, like, very high energy, as most people know. <laughs> so, like... That's kind of, like, my speed. So, like, that's why I find it funny. But I, I, I get from it, this breaking down of the timing and the editing and whatever, I get why it doesn't work for you. I just can't understand it. <laughs> and, and not even, I, I think what Adrian said is what really resonates with me. It's that it didn't work on the first go. And the thing is, is that right. if you watch this movie right. and it didn't work, then you're probably not going to give it a second chance or you're going to wait until you start a podcast with an asshole who's like, hey, let's watch Sorority Row every fucking year. <laughs> As you should, This trace, is the kind though. of film where, surprisingly enough, it's a film that requires multiple viewings to catch everything that it's doing, even though on the surface you think, oh, well, the plot is stupid and it's just a bunch of half-naked girls. <laughs> the film is doing more than that, but I, for me personally, it just took yep. a couple of rewatches to catch it. But see, that's how they get you. They keep bringing you back because you want to make go. sure you picked up on everything. So they know what they're mm -hmm. doing. Whether intentionally <laughs> trying to be funny or not, they know what they're doing. They, <laughs> they don't let things breathe. So you have to right. watch it again. Well, and I, I don't want to belabor the point because I, I do think that we have plenty of fun things to get to yeah. in this film. <laughs> but for me, the most successful comedy is Chugs. And that's why I like Chugs the best. I can definitely appreciate that Leah Pipes is fucking amazing. But my favorite character in this movie is Chugs, and that's because she gets a bunch of standalone scenes where she just gets to be funny. I mean, whether or not you like her blue humor, that's another point. But for me, the whole scene where she's in the kitchen and the freshman won't go down on her and oh, she just like so dresses good. him down, I think it's <laughs> hilarious because that is a, a strictly comedic scene to establish her character. It's also like Harshman's delivery is so deadpan for all oh of God. these jokes. See, and deadpan humor. Yes, and, yeah. and that is why it works. I, I will commend you on your praise of Leah Pipes, because <clears throat> three years ago, your... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you Not said. Not you dragging him the entire episode. <laughs> is Whitney in heaven just looking down, being like, uh-huh, she's got the receipts. <laughs> I, I, I only pulled four quotes, so this is number two. Um, but you said about Leah Pipes... I'll admit that Pipes' bitchiness is savage, okay, but I'll confess. Okay, can we watch the inflection, please? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
But I'll confess that I just don't find her performance as striking as you do. It comes off as a very typical acerbic head bitch to me, and if you're going to deliver shade and profanity, she doesn't hold a candle to the gold standard, which is undeniably Rose McGowan in Jawbreaker. <laughs> oh no, I'll, I'll stand by that claim. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay, that's okay. I can accept that. Courtney Shane is <laughs> top level. No one can come for Courtney Shane. Sorry. No, but but I, I do think that Chugs and uh, Jessica are probably the two things that people latch onto the most. And Chugs mm-hmm. is a very good spot in this movie, and she's gone way too soon. She gets the best oh, death yeah. in the movie. But, yeah. Okay. You know. <laughs> uh, poor Margot Harshman, man. Did y'all watch Even Stevens? Well, I know Joe didn't, but Adrian, did you Absolutely watch Even not. Stevens? No, you were too young. Shit. No, I watched well, Even Stevens. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was a huge fan. Lizzie McGuire, even Stevens. I was watching that shit. So yeah, I was obsessed with her. So she was, she was a bright spot when I recognized her immediately when I first watched this film. And again, I mean, yeah, she's taking way too fast from us, but I guess we can get into that. Okay. Well, let, let's just jump into this. So Sorority Row came out September 11th, 2009. Oh shit. I forgot about that. Oh, she was doomed to fail. <laughs> <laughs> released by Summit Entertainment. We're looking at a runtime of 101 minutes and a budget of $12.5 million. Did not do very well at the box office. So it opens in the number six slot with $5 million, and it goes on to gross $12 million domestically. International gross of 15.2 for a worldwide total of $27.2 million. And I do want to say that the competition for this movie so (laughs) this is the number six slot in the weekend of september 11 2009 the number one movie was i can do bad all by myself the tyler perry film okay nine the digit the the cgi movie was number two (laughs) with 10 million this is a rough weekend is what you're saying yeah yeah and glorious bastards all about steve in its second weekend the final destination in its third weekend all beat sorority row (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I curse no well i feel bad i will say that sorority row at least be another horror movie that was opening in the for, for its first weekend that week and that is the kate beckinsale snoozer whiteout oh right that one was dumped it, it was bad it's very it's boring <laughs> <laughs> i will not watch then uh, it, it's based on a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Whatever, it's not important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't do well box office-wise. Critics panned the shit out of this movie. Um, we're yeah. looking at a 25% of Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.1 out of 10 and a letterbox score of 4.8 out of 10. So this is when you need to be able to divide the critics. Like, okay, I need to see the reviews from the gay critics or right. like the queer community and just be like, oh, suddenly it went up eight digits. Hmm. Well, and so our queer connection with this, as as I mentioned, the director, Stuart Hendler, is gay, but also the composer is, a, well, problematic now, but uh-huh. it's kind of, it's Lucien Piani, who used to be like a big RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, yeah. Well, they're friends. He judged a couple times. He's done a lot of like music work, but then went on like a racist Twitter rant like 10 years yeah. ago and um, was canceled forever. And, and has not been heard since. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He <laughs> disappeared into obscurity. And remember that we're not saying canceled, we're saying consequenced. Consequenced. (laughs) If you're going to talk racist shit, then you know what? You deserve the consequences. All right. I will say, though, I really like his score for this movie. It's very fun and playful, and he does some really good work with blending the score with the soundtrack, specifically in the opening scene. Exactly, yeah. Speaking of, though, let's talk about it. All right. So the film opens with a long take through an extremely rambunctious sorority party. And we basically are introduced to all of our characters in this one 
quote unquote seamless take. So we have House Mother Miss Crenshaw, played by the one and only Carrie Fisher. Uh, Probably the film's most inspired casting, if we're being honest. Good question then. So Joe, because you watched the original for the first time this week. I did. Were you a little, because the plot of that movie hinges so much around the House Mother, were you a little bit bummed they didn't do a more straightforward adaptation so we could get more from Carrie Fisher in that kind of a role? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like that would have meant that we wouldn't have gotten the great scenes with Carrie Fisher where she's running around with a shotgun and it's fucking iconic. But yeah, it would have given her more of an arc to play, but then we would have killed her like in the original. So um, half and half. (laughs) They could have done more with her. Anytime you have any type of film, like kind of focusing on a sorority, the house mother is always like an important part of the film, typically. Mm -hmm. And if you're especially looking like at Black Christmas and like you said, the original House on Sorority Row, like those house mothers, like they all played a part. And yes. I was very disappointed that she wasn't in this film too much. But I don't yeah. know if that was because she didn't want to be in the film too much or if they just had nothing for her to do. I, yeah, I, I'm i going to choose to believe the role was written as is. And they were like, holy shit, we got Carrie Fisher. Like, that's how I'm looking at it. You know, I don't think the role was written for her. If it, If that was the case, then I would find this more egregious. But Carrie Fisher, do something with her then. I would have been yeah. like, I would have been in the writer's room. I would have been like, okay, we're starting from scratch and we're like reworking the whole script. It is Carrie fucking Fisher. And we're going to make sure that she does something of interest. But, I mean, but I mean, the shotcut scene again is iconic, but like, yeah. <laughs> do something with her. <laughs> okay. So the part of Cassidy is now being played by Carrie Fisher and uh, the whole movie is down. Her. <laughs> I'm down. My vote is down. Yeah. And I, I know we've commented, but yeah, the, the, the opening shot, it is a fake one that they use, like, you know, when they go by a pillar, it's obviously a new shot, but it's made to look like a single take. Mm-hmm. I actually love this as, a, as an introduction for all these characters, because you kind of immediately, well, not really, but for Chugs, you at least get like, okay, so she's the drinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so we are introduced to Cassidy who's played by Brianna Evigan. She's dancing, which I thought was a nice touch because, of course, I know her from Step Up 2. Right. And I think whatever the one where they combine them all, is it Step Up All In? Uh, Correct, Yeah, I think that's the last one. Okay, yeah, she's in that one too. (laughs) I'm a big fan of hers, and I always wish that I was seeing more of her, but... Um, If you haven't, Joe, you should check out Darren Lynn Bousman's Mother's Day remake with Rebecca De Mornay. Okay, I thought you were going to do the Burning Bright one. No, I, Burning Bright is great, but I, I know you're tired of me recommending that to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, it's she's in Mother's Day with actually um, Matt O'Leary, who plays Garrett in this film. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we also meet Bookish Ellie, who is played by Rumor Willis. We've got multicultural Claire, played <laughs> by Jamie Chung. Drunk Slut Chugs, who is played by Marco Harshman. And of course, Head Bitch Jessica, played by Leah Pipes. I mean, okay, so we're calling her Drunk Slut, which, okay, yeah, I mean, the girls call her that. I guess maybe the kind of, like, elephant in the room here is that this, this is, back then, people were having this conversation, but, like, now, obviously, we can look at it. This is two straight white men writing women <laughs> in yeah, a very, raping um, other women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will critique it, but that's not to say that I don't laugh at every single joke. 
Yeah, I mean, as I said off the top, you have to be ready to accept this film as an offensive, non-PC-friendly film. If you go into it and say, oh, we're talking about rape culture, we're talking about pranks that involve sexual assault, this is not a movie for you. Because the film isn't interested in actually unpacking that. If anything... It's really just, it's inciting incident, and then it's like, cool, hot girls, bad behavior. Yeah, very that. (laughs) And this all happens within, like, five minutes, so... Yeah. Yeah. Like, immediately right off the bat, they're just like, we we don't care, and this is what's happening, and you're going to enjoy it. Or, Mm -hmm. if not, they just don't seem to care (laughs) with anything. Yeah, it's very much just like, I think this is a bit of a time capsule in terms of 2009, where it was fine for men to talk about this and use it as a bit of a punchline. Like, I say that I love Chugs, and I think she is a fantastic, funny, funny character. But, you know, the line, catch me, rape me, is, I don't know if it played well in 2009, but it definitely plays differently in 2021. It played well. Well, I'm sorry. For me and my friend in our lonely theater in 2009, it did play well. <laughs> but I mean, yes. there's something to be said for the shock value, right? Like, this humor is so baldly offensive and very non-PC. And then to put it into the mouths of very attractive young women, I almost want to say that it's a bit subversive because this behavior is so crude and almost lewd. Yeah. yeah, and it kind of perpetuates mm-hmm. that message as well, especially because, again, the film itself, although inherently campy, it still feels as though it is being presented to maybe like a straight male gaze, as a lot right. of slasher films are. And mm-hmm. kind of putting those lines of dialogue in can definitely, I can see the problem there. But again, yeah, back in 2009, it, it went over my head, didn't think twice about it, and just kind right. of kept stepping. I was 14, I was in high school at the time, and that's just the shit I was hearing daily in the hall either way. So right. it's unfortunate now, but yeah, and I don't think ugh, it's just unfortunate all around. But, but this is the tail end of the aughts, right? Like the horror in the aughts was very mean. It was, Obviously yeah. not PC, it was, yes. but it was very mean. So I don't know. I think if it had come two years later, I would be more like, ooh. <laughs> but like, because mm-hmm. it has those double O's in the year, I'm just kind of like, eh, it's 2009. Right. And if we're thinking about this as an intentioned throwback to the 80s, these are not the kinds of conversations that we're seeing in 80s films either, right? It's like women are are regularly seen topless and sexually available and the men are pigs and these kinds of things. So in some ways you're like, oh, that's the homage, but also, ugh, fuck. Okay, so that that also, I mean, <sighs> the people that hate <laughs> on this movie, not for PC, just because they're, oh, it's a stupid slasher. I'm like, okay. If anything, this movie embodies, like, 80s slasher exactly, more so yes. than most of the remakes that were coming out around this time. I'm sorry, in the 2000s. So mm-hmm. it always makes me laugh when people are just like, oh, that movie, that that, that, that movie is so stupid. And I'm like, okay, but okay, let's go look at your fucking wall of 80s slashers over there and all the fucking stupid movies over there. Like, I'm sorry, you just don't like the time period. <laughs> that is what it is. I think it's that, but it's mixing the 2000s campy comedic sensibility, whereas something like the My Bloody Valentine remake, which I believe, Mm. correct me if I'm wrong, is coming out the same year, is playing it very straightforward, right? Like that is just, oh, we're doing 80s slasher in a 2000s horror film. Whereas this is like, no, we're giving you 2009 comedy with a mean edge as a homage to the 80s. But it, it doesn't do the meta thing, which I'm surprised no. by, but happy right. about. 
not to like solely deny the influence of the 80s slashers, but I feel like they were trying to maybe hit maybe like late 90s, early 2000s slashers mm-hmm. when kind of it was like hot and heavy with Scream and it was a little bit more self-aware and not as gratuitous um, as it was just, you know, the decade prior. So I think that's maybe what they were trying to do, like trying to pay homage to everything that they could. But again, I don't think they're successful with it, but it is a good time capsule of 2009 and just kind of where film was at that time, especially within horror, because I think horror was trying to kind of find its footing around this time frame because remakes were hot and heavy. Um, At the same time, they're still pushing a lot of obviously like paranormal activity was still coming out in Saw and like they were just trying to kind of figure out what worked and what could make money. And I think Mm -hmm. the film was trying its best to encapsulate anything and everything about the slasher genre. I don't think it was completely successful, but I like what it did result in because i still feel like it encapsulates its time well, period of release yeah. we we have the movie to enjoy now and that's all that matters <laughs> <laughs> i don't disagree with you adrian because i do get a kind of i know what you did last summer where it's clearly evoking the memory of screen but it's not saying like i'm not doing meta humor right i am actively choosing which tropes I'm going to reference because I know my shit. I did my homework and I know that that played well about a decade ago. Right. Exactly. And I will say that there were quite a few reviews of this film at the time that were like, it's really just doing, I know what you did last summer. And I was just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, you clearly What's the haven't problem? seen the original film. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause it's the same. Cause if anything, I know what you did last summer was doing mm-hmm. the house on sorority row. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. I mean, if you watch a slasher film and you're not like, oh, let me pick out all of the 80s references if there's an opening prank, like, I'm sorry, you need to go back to the board because that was what we did in 80 slashers. Like, something happened pre-credits that is going to come back to bite the characters in the ass. Well, that's a good segue. This Mm -hmm. prank. (laughs) All right. So the girls, cheers to Theta Pi. And I do love that this introductory piece where they each take a shot and say what they're thankful for. And they kind of like throw some backhanded shade at another girl. (laughs) Very telling about what they value, who they are, what their dynamic is. So I think it's a very clever way to introduce them more fully. Mm -hmm. And then we are into checking out Chug's brother, Garrett, who, as you mentioned, Trace is played by Matt O'Leary, and they have him on webcam date raping their sorority sister, Megan, who is played in peak 2009's meta reference, Adrena Partridge. (laughs) Patridge. Patridge. There's no R. I put the R in. I manually put the R in. No, I do too. I, I I only say that because Andrew's corrected me like a thousand times. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm staring at the R on my screen, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've legally changed her name and it is now Adrena Partridge. Honestly, that would probably be the most interesting about her because this acting isn't it at all. Oh boy. You know, because th- this feels very much like, oh, we're going to do what they did with Paris Hilton and House of Wax, right? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, to a lesser extent, but yes. Well, and th- that's the thing, though. Y'all, I have never seen a single episode of The Hills. I don't know what The Hills is about. <laughs> I did see in my research that there's now a new version of The Hills, which not only yep. has Patrick in it, but also has the girl that plays Maggie in the new- in season two. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Do they play sisters in the hills? I think they just play... Isn't it, It's a reality show, right? It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All these people 
people were like, oh my god, Audrina Patridge. And I was like, who the fuck is Audrina Patridge? Yeah. And that's not me trying to be cool. I hate it when people on Twitter are like, who? No, I just didn't I know who know this her. was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her. Yeah, full Mariah Carey, the house down. I don't know yeah, her. Yeah, you're like, no, but really, I, I legitimately don't know her. <laughs> I, I, I just did never watch The Hills. Um, I think Lauren Conrad is a person on that show. No. She... Lauren Cav- Kristen Cavallari, that's one, right? Also, yeah. yes. Yeah, she dated Spencer. <laughs> Listen, oh, I, Heidi and I Spencer. Yes, them, them. I never watched The Hills, but I was I consumed Laguna Beach for whatever reason. Oh, I don't God. know what it was. It just I mean, I don't know. I was literally in fucking farm country, okay? So anything that <laughs> showed the ocean, I was like, Oh my god, there's a world outside of this place. And so I yeah. consumed Laguna Beach and just was like, Yeah, cool, California. Well, and you would have been the target audience in terms <laughs> of age too. Yeah. 14 yeah, to 15 young. year old yeah very young yes but i never watched the hills because i just at that point i was kind of over it uh so yeah adrena was never somebody that i cared for and i mean mm. the movie surely didn't help her case no not in terms of acting talent yeah, oh yeah 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 i'm sure she's her a great corpse person. though her corpse gets a lot of mileage <laughs> oh. oh she looks terrible <laughs> but but yeah so so she she seemingly dies from complications of being roofied okay let mm. no but here's the thing so a, Cugs gives her brother roofie, quote-unquote roofies, mm-hmm. to, so that he can date rape Megan. And we do get this line from Chugs that goes, Oh, boy. oh come on, roofie sex isn't that bad. You get laid and you get a good night's sleep. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a joke <laughs> that has not aged very well. No. Right, it happens. That one lands uh, like a wet thud in 2021. Like, oh, Chugs, no. Girl, we're going to ship you off to feminism school. Yep. And I, I, in preparing for the podcast, I watched this film up, down, side to side, and I introduced <laughs> it to a few people. Okay. And listen, I I love to watch people react to certain things yes. in the film. And this is one of those movies where I was like, okay, so either, especially my boyfriend, he has never seen this and he's quick to just judge every little thing. So okay. I, like, I want to see how he reacts to this. I want to see what he, and yeah, when that line was dropped, immediately he looked at me and thought, you are scum of the earth for thinking that this is good. <laughs> Like, it, it was that kind of look where he was just like, what the fuck are you making me watch? And I was like, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We'll get past that. Just <laughs> the rest is good. Adrian's like, and now I'm podcasting from the guest bedroom. <laughs> and and in my brain, I'm like, oh, but a woman says it. But I'm like, oh, wait, no, no but it's two men saying it. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. And even then, it just still makes her a bad person if she's saying something like that. Not that any of these girls are good people. I don't think, yeah, I don't think anyone is here. The, the only one who is a good person, it, it's Cassidy. And... I would Ellie. argue maybe Claire because we do get that moment where Claire apologizes to her later. We don't get that from Correct. anyone else. <laughs> that yes. is true. Yeah, nobody apologizes for the bad behavior. Oh, you mean for wrapping Megan in Cassidy's bloody jacket and threatening to blackmail her, like blackmailing her, basically? Oh my god, it was one out of time. sisterhood. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. Sorry. So Megan, yes, has seemingly died from being roofied by Garrett. And as he is distraught, this is quickly revealed to the other girls as well as us that this is a prank. And the girls are using this as an opportunity to serve Garrett a lesson because he has cheated on Megan. So this is very much a no, it's pro-sisterhood, pro-feminism. Sure, sure, girls. (laughs) So everybody gets in the car and they decide that they're going to drive out to the old mine where they're going to get rid of the body. And the whole time they're playing along with this ruse. 
Okay, but okay, this is fun. This is comedy here. As they're driving there, <laughs> you have Chugs going, uh, or no, someone goes, I think she's turning cold. <laughs> and you have Jamie Chung like, I think I took a wrong turn. I'm totally freaking out, like not convincing at all. <laughs> and then Chugs just goes, she's not going to make it. <laughs> and then they all start laughing and then they like morph their laughs into crying. <laughs> Yeah, these performances so would not get them very far, but uh, apparently Garrett is upset enough that he believes it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's he is out of it. <laughs> so, alas, he buys it so fully that when they tell him that in order to sink the body in the well, which later we find out has no water, so this would have all been pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> They have to get the air out of her lungs, so Garrett stabs Megan in the chest with a tire iron, unfortunately killing her for real. And this is all being captured on a 2009 shiny cell phone video. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's stunning. So I actually did catch something here that I I don't know if we want to read too much into it, but while they're doing this, you know, Cassidy's talking to Jessica. She's like, how far are we going to let this go? Like, why are we doing this? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And Jessica goes... That's right. That's why we're doing it. Because it's funny. And I don't really know... I don't know if it means anything, but for me, my delivery was, like... Sorry, her delivery, what I read that as, was that she had an experience with sexual assault, and so she's just, like, going out, taking everything out on, like, would-be sexual assaulters. Like, she's, like, promising young woman, but in 2009. Hmm. Interesting. There's no reason for me to think that. The movie does not give me any reason to think that. It's just the delivery of that line. I was like, why did she deliver it this way? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because everything that we know about Jessica, and especially after what happens, is that she's very self-serving. So the idea that she would just like to play a prank on somebody could hypothetically be a rationale. But it doesn't dismiss your potential reading. The problem is, of course, the film doesn't interrogate it. No, yeah. but I think that would have been an interesting avenue to take it. It would have it would have made her a little bit more endearing as a character, because we never really get that moment for her in this mm-hmm. movie. I think the closest is when she meets with Kyle's father and she realizes, oh, all of her political ambitions in terms of like marrying up, she's still perceived as just another floozy. Yep. But even that you're like, that. okay, well, too bad for I you. I still don't care, yeah. <laughs> it is a chance to see her be raw yes there you go vulnerable but i i never i still never really feel any sympathy for her or empathy for her it's more just kind of like ha stupid bitch yeah agreed completely yeah because (laughs) the tone of the movie is ha stupid bitch (laughs) yeah alternate tagline ha every line exactly yeah every line the dialogue switches and bitches in every other sentence oh yeah they love calling each other bitches I was going to say, Trace, had we done this as an audio commentary, it's like, every time the girls say, call each other bitch, take a drink. Oh, God. (laughs) Dead by 30 minutes in. Exactly. (laughs) So Megan is dead. It has been captured on cell phone. And yeah, this is where Cassidy says she's not going to go along with the plan, the original plan to hide the body in order to protect their futures, which is, of course, you know, the the age old thing. We can't go to the cops. They'll never believe us. It'll ruin us all. We've all got to commit to this. And Cassidy says no. So she walks away. And while she's gone, as you mentioned, Trace, this is when they wrap Megan's body in Cassidy's jacket and dump it down the mine shaft and then blackmail her under the tenets of sorority sisterhood. So I think this is maybe a good time to bring up Ruma Willis's Ellie 
people really hate this character. They really do. I like her, not not because I'm like, oh, she's a good character. I actually just like how funny she is. Like, her shtick is that she cries and she whines, and the movie knows it because the movie comments on it. Like, mm-hmm. right. I don't know. I- I've never been like, oh, fuck Ellie. Now, granted, do I wish she had died? Yes. Do I wish that she wouldn't have gotten the killing blow at the end of this film? Yes. But I don't know. I, I think she's a fun kind of character because she's just so pathetic. I can't stand her. I, <laughs> I, like everybody else, she is just, yeah, she is just, I can't, like, I can't. Like, I understand in the situation they're in, I mean, there's going to be, and it's great that they play on different people's reactions and different emotions right. that can come into play with this whole scenario, but mm. I, I I can't fucking stand it. Like, literally, if people are dying, sweetie, it's time to fucking buck up. Like, I don't care. Like, you need to do something. <laughs> like, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but like, at the end as well, when she just like is choosing to stand in a closet where the fucking moonlight is shining okay, directly on her. Okay, but that's so funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I laugh at it now. And I do laugh at them making jokes. Of, I mean, I guess not jokes, but kind of like poking fun at her personality throughout the film. But I'm also just like, fucking do something, Ellie, because you're pissing me off. But she does get the final blow, but she doesn't deserve it. So it's just annoying. No, right. It doesn't feel earned. And I wonder if that's maybe where the fan backlash comes. Like, if Ellie had actually died or been the killer if that maybe would have made people not hate her so much, but because she is this kind of like pathetic girl, but then she doesn't die. And then she does kill the killer. It's kind of like, what? Like, (laughs) that's not fair. Exactly. Don't forget too, that people went into this screaming about Hollywood nepotism, because in both this, as well as the house bunny, people specifically pointed out that rumor Willis was only getting roles because of her celebrity parents. So I think people went in predisposed to hate Ellie. And then she's not a hugely likable character in this film. So she actually read for Jessica first. They wanted her for (gasps) Jessica. Oh God, no. That would have been so awful. That would have been terrible. Rumor, I'm sorry, sweetie. And she actually admits that. No, she admits that as much. In the commentary, She's it's her and Leah Pipes talking about how the the audition process. And she was like, I'm so glad that you got that part because I would not have been able to do it. (laughs) Right. Not to that extent. Well, and so, I mean, I, I get the nepotism arguments, but I'm like, yeah, but like, she's not the lead of this movie. She is a side. Granted, she's a survivor, but she's not the lead. Also, did y'all know that she won Dancing with the Stars? I did not, which is insane to me. That <laughs> like what? What season do we know? Uh, it's season twenty from twenty fifteen. Oh God, there's twenty seasons of Dancing with the Stars in twenty fifteen. So there's more yeah. than twenty. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Girl. actually, for you and listeners, if y'all get a chance, y'all should look up. She has. A, I want to say it's a tango. Maybe it's not. But to to poor unfortunate souls, and she is in Ooh. full Ursula garb, and oh, it is a really good dance number. <laughs> Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm straight to YouTube. <laughs> Following recording. Down. Adrian will not disappear from the podcast for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to mute for a second, guys. I'll be right back. Okay. I'll send you a copy. <laughs> oh, bitch went down. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so the bitch's body has gone down the mine shaft, and then we jump ahead to eight months to graduation. This film does love a heavy time jump. Random numbers, right? Eight months? <laughs> well... That's an extent of a semester. It's the opening party from the year, and then they fast forward <sighs> to right. the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because the end of the movie is 15 months later, so I guess it's like, okay, it's the end of the year to, like, not the next beginning of the year, but the next beginning of the year. But they had to rebuild the house. It burned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Okay, That's why. Months. The house takes a long time to repair. 
Yeah, because if it would have been eight months, we would have been like, what the fuck? This house is burning down. Like, in eight months' time? I don't think so. Oh, that house is a fucking shell by the end of this movie. <laughs> but, okay, so this flash forward, though, this introduces y'all's favorite character, Andy. I love Andy. He is played by Cutie Patootie, Julian Morris. This character sucks. He Awful. is super boring. Mostly because for the majority of the film, he is playing the nice guy, valedictorian boyfriend of Cassidy, and who could care? But okay, but that to me is why his reveal at the end works for me because he is a nothing character up until the last ten minutes of this movie. <laughs> I mean, again, yes, if you're thinking about the comedy, right? Yeah. But I also feel like every boring character in this film is like up for grabs in terms of who's going to be the killer at the end. Because like when I first watched this film, I was like, okay, what's well, either going to be Kyle, it's going to be Andy, or it's going to be Ellie because they're just the ones that are giving me nothing like the entire film. So, I mean, right. he's still, I mean, why introduce him if he's not going to do anything and be boring? He has to be used in some way. Correct. Uh, I mean, I mean, slashers love a red herring, but right. I guess if people are watching this for the first time and they have, listened to up to this point i would say your best bet is to go in not giving a shit about who the killer is because it's ultimately the least interesting part of the film i will disagree with you but we will <laughs> get there <laughs> i mean again as a traditional slasher film the reveal is like what but why but if you're but, looking but at that... it as a bit of a weird comedy then yes you're like wait <laughs> what no, but, yeah, but but that's why it works. There's literally a line where he's like, let's go kill Ellie. You're always saying we should go do more stuff together. <laughs> it's hilarious. It really is. It's, it's hilarious. It is. I, <laughs> it's bad. A bad reveal, but it is funny still. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Cassidy does not want to go to this end of year party at Theta Pi, but Jessica basically makes her feel bad and says, if you don't go, then it's going to look suspicious. So... She shows up and Jessica is delivering this toast, which is all about trust and respect and honor and secrecy and solidarity. <laughs> and I'm just like, Jessica, baby, I don't know about secrecy being one of those tenets of sorority <laughs> sisterhood. <laughs> this is when we are introduced to Megan's younger sister, Maggie, who is played by Carolyn Demore. And this is the start of Ellie having regular oh. freakouts because she thinks that Megan looks like no. Oh, she-, <laughs> she thinks that Maggie looks like Megan, and they look, I don't think, anything alike. At no, all. they don't. Literally nothing resembles one another. But what I love here, though, is that when Ellie faints, we get, like, a Wilhelm crowd scream. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so funny. The gas. All the people like, oh! <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> it's hilarious. It really is. But we also get Jessica's uh, amazing retort with that when she walks in on them in the kitchen, oh. like, immediately following. She's like, who up and faints anymore? I love it! <laughs> This is so really good. the start of, of Jessica's life, because we're about to get the, oh, for me on Facebook, I'll totally confirm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I can. <laughs> yeah, this is where Leah Pipes really starts to take control of this film. So we're, we're introduced to Maggie in this kitchen. She says, yes, I'm the younger sister. I'm planning on pledging. She seems slightly nefarious, but I think it's mostly just that she doesn't trust the girls because we find out later that Megan has told Maggie a lot about them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't think most of it has been kind. Well, and uh, so as soon as she leaves this this room, you know, so I think it's Claire. She's like, is it just me or was that girl all kind of creepy? And then Jessica <laughs> just goes, no way she's getting in with that outfit. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so funny. 
So this is also where we're introduced to Claire and Jessica's douchey boyfriends. So Claire is dating Mickey. He is played by Max Hennard. And Jessica is dating future political candidate Kyle, who is played by <laughs> Matt Lanter. And everyone, if you are a Star Wars fan, Matt Lanter is the voice of Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars movie and TV show. And if you're a fan of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, he's the voice of Baylor Hotner. Why are you using your Patreon voice to do his bio? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's really funny. <laughs> and everyone, listen to us. Listen to this. <laughs> it's because he's a successful voice actor and he has to, like, you know, play into that a little bit. And My God, I wish I could be a voice actor. That'd be amazing. If you're listening and you're a casting agent, please get in touch with me. I would love to do it. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> if it happens, I want, like, something. I want a percentage. Okay. For yeah. <laughs> like i don't give a fuck 0.02 percent i just <sighs> so this is where everybody gets a text that says i know what you did last summer oh sorry no they get a text of a tire iron <laughs> that tells them i know what you did last summer and <laughs> everybody has a little bit of a freak out jessica reminds cassidy that she should not be on her high horse because she could have gone to the cops anytime in the last eight months and she did not Ooh, Cassidy bitch. goes, wham, so she contacts Andy. This is the introduction of Friend Pin, which <laughs> I think is the movie's stupidest conceit. It's insane. It, it's, find my, it's, it's the pre-Find My iPhone. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Find a Friend or whatever. But yeah, I wrote Chekhov's Friend Pin right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But we do learn that she will stick around for the party because, of course, you know, sisters come first. <laughs> So, because it is the end of the year, Miss Crenshaw gives them all bracelets. You could also call this Chekhov's bracelet, because it will literally yep. save Cassidy's life at the end of the film. And in case you didn't realize that Jessica was a huge cunt, this is where she immediately <laughs> insults the bracelet and then discards it, prompting all of the <laughs> others to do the same. Right. You also, If you yeah. didn't catch that uh, Chugs is a slut, they also make sure that you know it in the scene as well, as if that oh, hasn't been hammered home. Yes! Yes, no, because they give the, um, oh, sometimes five girls in one night, and then some rando extra just goes, slut! Yeah, <laughs> it kills me every time. But yeah, they, like, if it wasn't, like, just, like, so blatantly obvious, she's a slut. So just right. so, just in case I didn't catch that in the first couple of minutes, then yeah, she's a slut. And somebody, make sure you heard that she was a slut. Oh, okay, yeah. but what is the better background actor role that will get you into the SAGs or the SAGs? Is it this or is it check out the news? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with news. It's the it, no, it's it's Scream Two when she goes look local woman and she, the woman in the background just goes ouch ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's my life goal, honestly. <laughs> Just anything, anything in the background. Just give me something. A gasp. I will do it. <laughs> Mine is to get calf implants. Oh. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay. So speaking of how slutty Chugs is, this is where she says, I'm going to go and get party drugs for us for this evening. So she visits pervy Dr. Rosenberg, who is played by Ken Bolden, and... He doesn't last long. He gets a tire iron in the head. And this is our first view of the killer who is dressed in a hooded graduation gown. I had to look that up because to me, I was like, he's wearing a black something. Oh, yeah, she's not appealing. <laughs> it's not appealing. The outfit's not cute. This is a psychiatrist who has anal sex, specifically anal sex, because Chug <laughs> says he's into butt stuff. With his patients in exchange for prescription samples. Like, 
I mean, no, it's terrible, but it's also <laughs> the movie. The movie treats it as a joke. Like again, I, I, I know that we have to be on here. Like, well, this is bad, but I'm also sitting here like this is really funny. <laughs> Yeah, know. and that's the I thing, know. is if you can't get behind this comedy, this is probably about the time that you will say, did she just say catch me, rape me? I'm out. Thank you. Well, yeah. He hears the tire iron, like, being scraped. He hears someone come in, and he's handcuffed to this bed and flat out yells down the hall, excuse me, you have to schedule an appointment. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's nonplussed that when Chugs comes in, he's handcuffed by one hand to the bedpost, like... I think this is just usual behavior for him. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like... <laughs> so Chugs has not recognized that he has been murdered, so she lays back on the fainting couch with a giant bottle of presumably Chardonnay, because I would assume that's what Chugs would drink. And sure. uh, as she's drinking, the killer comes up and rams the bottle down her throat, rams it <sighs> down again, and then slits mm-hmm. her throat with his modified tire iron. I mean, iconic, legendary. It's great. It truly is. And folks, we did mention this briefly when we talked about Midnight Kiss, because we were like, hey, maybe this is the inspiration. Spoiler, it was not. But that's okay. Uh, (laughs) And you know what else used a bottle in the uh, throat is Freaky. Right, right. You're correct. Yes. Opening scene. That one I wouldn't be surprised if that was a direct homage to. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all, given the the gay of it all. Mm -hmm. And this will also start our trend of our character is being killed via mouth things right exactly this movie is very interested in the mouth orifice Mm -hmm. supposedly the reasoning behind it was because it was like oh well their secrecy like their mouths were shut so now we're gonna open them like with their deaths i'm just like no it was an an oral fixation (laughs) that's what this was I'd, I'd almost say like oh these bitches are constantly running their mouths but not about the important thing Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, so sadly, that is the end of Chugs. And this is where I start to lose interest in the film. Kidding! I... <laughs> this is a little bit of a lull because we have this next scene and then our shower scene coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jessica goes to meet with Kyle's father, Senator Tyson, who is played by Rick Applegate. And he tells her that he can't figure out if she's the spend your life with her girl or the burn hard with her girl. Which just tells me that he should not be a senator because those references sound like surf culture from the 70s. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I also love the, <laughs> the first, it's like he's like out Jessica-ing her because he goes you're a spirited girl Jessica thank you that wasn't a compliment (laughs) (laughs) barb 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 (laughs) so uh, this is where we get boobs a lot of boobs so Jessica goes back and she and Claire decide that they're going to take showers at this point so um, they have a conversation about the murder in front of other girls after Jessica dresses down this bitchy sorority girl Riley about using the wrong shower and it's all kind of nonsense but we get another girl who gets murdered here she doesn't even have a name and she's dead. For the two of you there is a huge plot hole here the reason I don't care about it is because of how fucking ridiculous this entire... This scene is unnecessary. It's, <laughs> it's, it, it, yeah. it only exists to kill another girl. But also think about this. Andy is somehow in this shower Sorority room. house? Yeah. Yeah, or the house where people are outside, like, like there's a group of people outside yes. the front door. 
And he just so happens to be there when one of the girls overhears them spilling the beans about Megan, so he knows to kill this other girl. <laughs> right. <laughs> it really makes like, no sense. It, it makes really no it. fucking sense. <laughs> like, did the naked girl walking to the other side of the house, to the other, like, fucking shower, not see him just waltzing into the shower, or...? No one. In full guard? No one working on this film thought about that. Or if they did, they were like, oh, it's the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> or... or- Andy slash Kyle was maybe not the original intended killer, and they were going to have one of the other girls. Like a co-killer. Like Ellie was in the house already because she could have also been a killer. Yeah, something like that. Do y'all think, I mean, I I don't really have much experience with screenwriting, but do y'all think they do that where they'll literally like write up until the killer reveal and then decide from there, well, this person's going to be the killer? I know that's a big thing with Scream 2, where they even had like different type of, like, they had a different idea. I mean, I guess like after they wrote the script and then at the end they were like, should it be Cotton and should it be Hallie or should it be? Mm. They had different ideas of, of to avoid spoilers. So I don't know if they intentionally already knew what they were doing with that film, but they at least had a whole bunch of different options that they had in mind. So I mm-hmm. don't know if that's what they were going with here, but maybe they that would have made this scene make more sense, perhaps. I mean, this <laughs> is technically a whodunit, so they probably wanted a bunch of red herrings. So I guess in this case, the point of the scene is to say, oh, it has to be somebody who has easy access to the sorority house. Who could that right. be? Right. Yeah. And the answer is Andy. <laughs> That's why it's so funny. <laughs> Some people say plot hole. Trace says comedy. It's com- it's intentional comedy. That's what there it is. Go. It's there brilliant. Okay. So Ellie is in the basement. She has been ordered by Jessica to go and do a bunch of odd tasks. And this is where she discovers Cassidy's jacket is hanging. And the group immediately figures out, okay, it must be Garrett. So, okay. Andy also knew that one of our four or five, no, four, because there's only four left because Chugs is dead, knew that one of our four girls would be the one to go into the basement to find this jacket. I mean, I guess if you've met Ellie and you know Jessica, you would know it would be Ellie who would be designated shitty Tess. Perhaps. (laughs) Unless he maybe, he's already in this house, apparently, like up, down, he's like, he's upstairs, downstairs in the bathroom. So maybe he was just like leaving it there just for later and he just got lucky with this one. Yeah. Like he was gonna just he's gonna put it somewhere else a little bit later, and uh, he just so happens Ellie's down there, and it just works out. It works oh, out. Shit, for him. I was gonna use that later. Okay, uh, scratch <laughs> that off. Uh, I guess I'll have to send a video of the the murder now instead. Oh crap. Oh yeah, or like texting. I mean, I guess we'll get into it, but like texting like mid chase murder at the same like. Oh we'll yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the text is really funny. <laughs> it's very bitchy. So one of the lines that I often miss, but if you catch it, is quite funny, is Ellie then, of course, has a freak out at this point, and somebody says something about, mm-hmm. somebody's going to die, and, and Jessica says, no one is dead, except Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody is dead, Ellie. Well, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> and then so we good. get Chugs' voicemail, the, hi, this is Chugs, leave a message after the bleh. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Chance, where the fuck are you? <laughs> so funny. But of course, they cannot let this stop the party. The party must go on, if only for appearances, which is just like the original film. Uh, yeah. This is where Claire kicks her horny boyfriend, Mickey, out to the curb. And I mean, he's your classic frat boy pig, so he immediately tries to pivot and hit on younger girls. I do love that moment where they say, the party isn't good enough to suffer this guy. So they just leave. 
And wait, and before they leave, they go, yeah, and you're not real hot either. And he's just like, that's really mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It really is hilarious. Yeah, I do enjoy that comedy bit. This is also where we get the nice scene between Claire and Cassidy. It's possibly the only moment of character development for Claire, because she's, spoiler alert, gonna go soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminded me of the scene from I Know What You Did Last Summer when, when it's not, it doesn't have the same emotional weight at all, but when, when Sarah Michelle Gellar like talks to Julie in the car and she's like, right. what happened to us? Like that's a moment where it's like, Oh, I really feel for Helen in this moment. I don't really feel that for Claire yeah. as much because she's not as developed, yeah. but right. They keep coming back to it and you can see her crying. Like it, it's mm-hmm. a good moment for Chung. The movie just doesn't really give her like enough to play off of to really make it work. But I, I appreciate the effort. Right. Yeah. They do their best, but I mean, it doesn't work again when she's like branding Cassidy for murder. Like, Eight yeah. months prior to this, so I mean that that's kind of the thing, right? Like all of them are immediately. It's not just oh, we're covering up a murder. We're blackmailing our friend and right, framing so her quick. for murder, and that's kind of like it's that. That you don't really come back from. You can't really apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, we're done. You're blocked. That's not like yeah. no, ma'am. No, thank you. Not happening. And I do like that Cassidy holds that grudge throughout most of this until it's life or death, in which case she says, okay, I'm not going to kill any of you or allow you to be killed. Right. Well, we haven't talked about her a lot, but do y'all like, I mean, I know we like Brianna Evigan because she is great. Um, yeah, she is great. as a final girl, do we like Cassidy? Uh... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. The sad part is, is like her character isn't interesting enough for me to even right. have that thought, which is what's mm-hmm. sad. So I don't know if that helps her case <laughs> with this. Uh, but I think she does fine, especially near the end. I mean, I guess, I mean, when she runs out to try to save Claire a little bit later, that's like the most gusto I feel like she has in this movie. I mean, she fights back a little bit, obviously, with Andy at the end and with Kyle. But that, that was the only moment where I felt like, like she felt interesting. I don't know. I feel bad for her, mm-hmm. but I, I guess I'll just go with no. <laughs> no I mean, she is the proverbial wet blanket, um, of the film, but, I almost wonder if it's because, though, because the movie is so centered around bitchy one-liners. Yeah. The other girls overshadow her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's the straight-lace audience surrogate, so she she can't have those kinds of things because we have to root for her to live. Right. Mm -hmm. I like her more than some of the other wet blankets. Like, do I enjoy her more than Julie James? Do I enjoy her more than uh, fucking Jamie King in the My Bloody Valentine remake? Like, So bad. And I do think that's part of, I think that's part of the actress more so. But (laughs) I guess one of the things I will give this film credit for is that none of them become super powered heroines. Like they do fight back, but it's mostly about evasion and, they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to be smart about it. And in some ways, I like that, even though it doesn't give us the rah-rah, cheer-worthy moments where we say, like, yeah, fucking pick up that phallic weapon and stab that douchebag. Right. <laughs> Which is about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have to kill Mickey. So Mickey ends up crawling into the house, into the renovated wing, and he gets killed in the vent by the killer. It's pretty good. It's the kind of death that you cheer for because you don't like Mickey anyway. I right. do like this death. Also, Piani's score, really good here. But I love that, what is he crawling? It, it's not a dumbwaiter, but I guess maybe a laundry shot? It's a laundry, laundry shoe. Yeah. yeah. Laundry shoe, yeah. But I do love, um, there's a good shot after the blade pierces his uh, his neck where the, the blood like runs down his runs face. Runs his and, like, face, in, yeah. And his Gorgeous. eye, yeah. It's Art. good. Yeah, it's great. 
do we like the tire iron as a weapon? Okay, wow, not you asking my question. I was like, can we talk about the weapon? <laughs> do we enjoy it? Or... <laughs> I cannot pick up a tire iron these days. Well, first off, I'm not picking up a tire iron in any <laughs> circumstance. <laughs> but in vain of me being or seeing one, I can't not think of this movie. I think it's great. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I would love to twirl it around. Yeah, I think it's completely impractical the way that it gets used, but I oh, love yeah. the fact that it's modified to be like four different weapons in one. And also, I i mean, I know you cued us to this because you sent it as a fun fact on your notes, Trace, mm-hmm. but the number of tire irons you would have to have because the killer is constantly losing them in walls and people. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. He, I don't know what, I don't know who he's ordering these tire irons from or if he's doing it himself, but they would, I would be suspicious. So they're like, send me five tire irons and they all have like a fucking super sharp blade at the end of one <laughs> end. Send me five of them, please. Yeah, so the, they had 17 prop tire irons for this, but I, I do like the tire iron. I mean, people will say it's stupid. I've heard that countless times. Oh, but sure. for me, a trademark thing in a slasher film, if you're trying to make like a, I, not, I'm not going to use the word iconic, but just like a really memorable slasher, right. it's your killer, mm-hmm. which this movie obviously is debatable if it's a good killer or not, and a signature weapon. Like, right. the first movie, the weapon is a cane. <laughs> I like the cane, though. The I cane is pretty, pretty memorable. It is. it is. But I also think the time... The t- you're right, Joe. The tire iron is... It makes no fucking sense. But I do think it's visually memorable, and it leads mm-hmm. to some memorable kills. So I think the oh, tire sure. iron is actually one of the better innovations that this movie does. Like w- w- In a movie that doesn't really get creative with the formula. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. So jessica and cassidy find mickey's body pretty quickly i also like that this film doesn't dance around the fact that we are finding bodies and knowing that people are dead i always appreciate that um jessica's being adrian here when she's like uh interrogating ellie first word first syllable anything (laughs) 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 it's amusing yeah this is when they also get a new text so they are sent the video of the murder and jessica flips out because she can't let ellie see this text message so funny too late <laughs> one of the best comedic beats in this film <laughs> is that too late <laughs> it's <is> so good <laughs> But then we get another scream in the car, and like I think it's Claire that goes, Ellie, you, you have, have to got stop. to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also in the car, too, when Claire asks why Mickey, and immediately, like, on B, Jessica's like, oh, oh. maybe because he was a dick? <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> no, I love it, though, because they walk out of Mickey's corpse room, and they're like, Mickey's dead, and they just leave Claire behind, <laughs> and the camera just zooms in on Claire's face, and she goes, What? <laughs> doesn't give a fuck (laughs) it's so funny this text message has indicated that they need to go to the mine shaft which is the scene of the crime so yes they do hop in the car we get the return of maggie she is just standing in the middle of the road i guess she knew to wait for them because they were coming question yeah what the fuck in those like samara in the ring type shit just standing in the street I do love that Maggie is as good as Jessica at delivering these quippy one-liners because, like, this is where we really start to get the kind of back-and-forth rapport. Like, we saw it in the kitchen briefly, but this is where it's like, nope, there is a good, strong animosity between these two. (laughs) I'm going to deal with you later. Well, you might want to deal with that hair first because it looks like shit. So good. But then we have Ellie's great... She would have made a great Theta. (laughs) (laughs) So good. 
to me, that's when I think, oh, people shouldn't be hating on Rumor Willis's performance in this because Ellie gets a couple of good quips in there as well. She does. Mm-hmm. Like the pregnant by 10 p.m. line also earlier in the film also makes me chuckle every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when she tells Mickey, if you touch me again, I will fucking kill you. Like, ugh. Oh, yeah. Also in the basement. I guess we're praising her at this point. Also, when she's <laughs> in the basement and she goes, she says something to the extent of, and this is why you're still a virgin, Ellie. She's pretty funny. Okay, well, I'll, I'll wait till we get to because th- there is one delivery that Rumor Willis has coming up that I think is fucking hilarious. So continue. <laughs> All right. So we arrive at the mineshaft, and this is where we find Garrett. And it looks like he's been self-harming by cutting his wrists. But Jessica doesn't feel too generous about him because no. she thinks he's the killer. So she <laughs> runs him over with the car, murdering him. She's okay, three to one odds, he's still alive. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> But to praise her, though, like, in these scenarios with these movies, I mean, you're always, like, fucking do something. Like, when you have the killer in your sight, I mean, she's clearly wrong in this part. But, mm-hmm. I mean, right. take him take him down if you can. She hits him twice just for good measure. I can right. appreciate that. Oh, she's on a mission. Like, she's like, I gotta marry my senior really boyfriend. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, I need to get back to the party. Okay, Jessica. <laughs> full crazy eyes, man. As soon as Maggie walks into the screen, she's like, it's, like she's full panic mode the entire movie. She's on a mission. Indeed, yeah. So we send Cassidy down this mine shaft. This is where she discovers the message, Theta Pi must die, and Megan's body is not down there. So <laughs> they're like, okay, well, I guess we go back to the sorority house, which is now empty because the after party has begun. I love that they almost take offense to the idea of like, wait, where did everybody go? Wait, they left us to go to the after party? <laughs> <laughs> did y'all think for a minute that Megan might have been alive and, and Patrick was going to like be the killer in no, this movie? absolutely not. No, not I, at all. I did. <laughs> i'd say that's strike two (laughs) (laughs) that was the one thing this movie that like that was feeding me this movie was trying to feed me i wasn't gonna accept that one (laughs) right but it 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 doesn't work in the original house on sorority row either right every time they're like no mrs whatever her name is the the mrs crenshaw stand-in in in that film you're like Mm -hmm. no that bitch is dead she's been dead the whole time right okay exactly well i mean listeners spoilers for the original but would y'all have preferred it if the killer was mrs crenshaw's illegitimate deformed child okay that to me was the most 80s thing about that original film like oh we're doing deformed children coming back yes with full full flashback a whole like montage to just give us a little bit of a side story for the killer and i'm like yes i didn't need it i didn't i don't need it but you know it it is what it is (laughs) yeah it's we all watched a giallo and then we made a low budget slasher in the 80s yep Okay, so the house is empty. The jacuzzi is basically out of control with soap because of what Claire did earlier and apparently what other people continued. So as the other girls go inside, she checks it out to see if she can stop it. And we get this great scene. I actually think this is one of the tensest scenes in the film Mm -hmm. is her following the cord to try to unplug it and you can't see anything amongst the soap. I mean, she does run back, and then she gets sucked back, and she is eventually shot in the mouth with a flare gun. But this is also where we get the text message from Chugs, where it's like, (laughs) (laughs) Jess, Cass, and Ellie, I'm gonna miss the party. Because I'm dead, sad emoji face. (laughs) It's the emoji face that makes it work, because otherwise I'm just like, boo. But then Jessica's like, or someone's like, wait, why why wasn't that addressed to Claire, too? And then that's when we get Claire coming up like, ah, I'm dying! (laughs) I'm being murdered. Please help me. I do love the whole bubble scene, though. It's gorgeous to look at, if anything. Yes. 
it's a great set piece. I do wish it lasted longer or that a there was even yeah. like Definitely. some kind of a chase in it of sorts. Uh, but thank mm-hmm. you. Exactly that. Or they could have followed up with the chase after like if Cassidy is going to be our, you know, mm-hmm. our forced final girl, then give her some type of chase. In, at least with that set piece, because it is it's so fun and it it ended too soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I do think this movie, it's pretty briskly paced once it gets going to the point where I I sometimes feel like, just give us a little bit more of a chase. Draw it out a little bit longer. Right. I mean, it's an hour and 40 minutes, which is kind of long for this type of movie, but... Mm. Up until we get the eight month, like the, the prologue, like the whole prank and everything, that is twenty full minutes. So like yeah. the mo- like the movie proper is an eighty minute movie. Right. right. Yeah. They were like resting heavy on that opening for sure. Yeah. Also, if y'all didn't notice, Cassidy does pick up a bird cane when she goes into the suds after Claire, and that is the weapon from the first film. She does, I love that. Nice little shout out. Not too obvious, you know, no. just kinda gently worked in there. So upstairs, we find Maggie sleeping in <laughs> Jessica's bed, and they proceed to have a cat fight about who has been sleeping with Kyle, because this is what's important to these two idiots at this moment. Payback's a bitch. You're a bitch! <laughs> like, good one, Priscilla. Very, yeah, very. <laughs> I live, though. I love a good cat fight, so I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with this whole little moment. It's the right amount of time. It doesn't go on for too long, mm-hmm. uh, but it's hilarious. I love it. But that's why, right? Like, this is why, again, this is so ridiculous. Like, why is this in this movie? It is just so mm-hmm. dumb. It is so funny. And that's just why, yeah, I, I can't take anything in this movie seriously because of things like this. Yeah, and they right. put it in there intentionally. So, like, they had to have known, like, people were probably going to roll their eyes a little bit while watching some of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas I think slasher purists would look at this and say, what is the point of this Maggie character? Because you could actually remove her wholesale from the film and not change any of the outcome from the plot. Oh yeah, she's useless. She's a red herring. Yeah. And I think the issue is, this film should have killed her when she was no longer a red herring. But it keeps her alive. She should have gone up in the Molotov cocktail. Yes, oh, 100%. Definitely. Because, yeah, she, she's supposed to be the creepy girl. Like, oh, if the movie's trying to make us think Megan's alive, what if it's her not-identical sister <laughs> who's doing this? <laughs> uh, yes, and this will also be the beginning of Maggie's wardrobe change. So she will wear a men's shirt and panties for the rest of the film. Oh, as well as, uh, like, knee-high socks. Right yeah. for, oh, my God. <laughs> It's kind of a fantastic fashion statement. Like, she's very (laughs) striking in it. And you fear for her when she is surrounded by fire because she has so much exposed skin. Right. But it's also ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So out in the hallway, everybody comes back together. This is where Miss Crenshaw shows back up. And she smacks Jessica right in the face (laughs) with her shotgun. (laughs) And then doesn't really apologize for it because she says that she's been wanting to do it for years. <laughs> Obsessed. Her, her delivery of, well, he, she, or it is about to get two rounds in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Also, Maggie, Maggie does not have, like, like, if somebody in front of me told me that they murdered my sister. Oh, like, yeah. I, I'm not going to just, like, casually push you against the wall a little bit. Especially since I was brawling with you before. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to probably it's kill on, you on. <laughs> yeah um, you're probably gonna die in that moment but this is also comedic because so okay we get the reveal for maggie that these people have killed her sister but then right. crenshaw's like megan's dead and then cast is like well maybe not and then it's like maggie's like wait she's not dead and this is this, this tug of war <laughs> back and forth 
You're right. She's I having an emotional. <laughs> yeah, she's having some inner turmoil that nobody really cares about, but she's going through it. And so, yeah, I guess I can understand not killing Jessica in that moment. Yes. Yes. So we've skipped past it because this film has a surprising amount of like TNA and talk about sex, but it doesn't actually show us much of anything. Like I think Cassidy and uh, Andy's sex scene is the most that we get. Do you believe Maggie when she says that she's been fucking Kyle? I think so. I think so as well, especially since he's like pantsless a little bit later. It, it is weird that we don't see, like, even an introduction to a scene where they are having sex. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I've always assumed, yes, she's telling the truth, but I have always thought it was weird that we don't see, or even get a confirmation from him about it. Right. Right. Because I remember the first time I saw it, I definitely thought that she was just trying to get under Jessica's skin. But then I realized, would she even really know who Kyle is? I guess Megan might have told her about yeah, it. But probably. it seemed like a weird avenue to explore. And then you're right, Adrian, we do get a suggestion from Kyle that, yes, he has been cheating. But it, again, feels like, eh, folks, we needed just a little bit more if you're going to spend this much time on this plot line. Right, Exactly. Okay, so all of the girls hold up in Jessica's room while Miss Crenshaw and Maggie go to investigate the house. And one of my favorite Jessica lines is when she goes, oh, no, don't go out there. <laughs> I tried to warn her. No, because because she Crenshaw, like they hear a gunshot. And <laughs> Jessica just goes, maybe she got her. And Maggie's <laughs> like, Megan! <laughs> but wait, this is my favorite rumor Willis delivery. So when they go into this room... Cassidy's like, Jessica, where's your phone? I don't have it. She goes, Ellie, do you have your phone? And Ellie <laughs> just goes, I don't know where my phone is right now. I've had kind of a crazy day, okay? <laughs> it's pretty funny. I just have a lot going on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just broke up with my boyfriend. <laughs> I'm just making references to like non-horror films throughout this episode. My apologies. It's okay. It's okay. Ah. <sighs> Okay, so Crenshaw ends up in the kitchen, and there's a pretty great scene. Again, I do wish it was just a little bit longer, but she ultimately ends up getting pushed via the table into the tire iron, which has been impaled in the fridge. She literally sidesteps in front of that tire iron. She definitely does. She asked for it. Like, (laughs) what are you doing, ma'am? She's like, I've been living in this house with 50 crazy bitches for how many years? I'm done. Please put me out of my misery. (laughs) <laughs> her come to mama is also a really good line oh yes mm-hmm. i do like the moment where as the killer walks by she tries to get a shot off at him and you know even though she obviously is annoyed and frustrated by these bitches for a lot of the time she does still feel protected and says you know like stay away from my girls it's cute i cry every time <laughs> It's yeah. only a testament to Carrie Fisher's oh, all the reason presence I cry. and delivery. Like, <laughs> this role could have been so thankless and forgettable otherwise. And although the scene is badass, I, I, her aim is insane. And I <laughs> like it's a whole fucking shotgun. And you don't get any hits in on this guy. Yeah, there's splatter mm-hmm. on, on the bullets. <laughs> like, that's the, the reason that you have a shotgun. She cannot hit the side of a barn. Yeah, he keeps running baby. by her too, and she's just like, "All right, <laughs> full death wish." Yeah, literally back and forth in front of a fucking shotgun. He's like, I guess, he doesn't care at this point, I guess, if he's successful in his endeavor. Because what the hell? 
I'm just saying it's a PSA for Americans. If you're going to own guns, please go and get trained so you can use them efficiently to kill a serial killer who is attacking your sorority girls. Exactly. To piggyback on what y'all were saying though about how she makes the part memorable, and this could have been a nothing role, Adrian, like you said, this film was compared a lot negatively to the Black Christmas remake, which I'm just kind of like, okay, like, I mean, yeah, mm. sorority girls, the remakes, whatever. And I love Andrea Martin, but like, look at the role that she has as the house mother in that movie, which I do think is kind of forgettable. And she has right. way more screen time than Carrie Fisher yeah, does in this movie. She does. Yeah, she has a lot of screen time. And mm-hmm. a memorable death, I would say, though, yeah. at least. An mm-hmm. ice school to yeah. the face? Maybe a better death, and maybe that's why people remember it more. Maybe. Maybe so. Go back and listen to our Black Christmas episode. <laughs> it's good. The, the movie's fun. It's not good, but it's fun. Agreed. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather watch this film over and over again. Oh, agreed as well. Up. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 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 Don't you think that I'm saying go watch Black Christmas instead of Sorority Row? <laughs> I'm just making it clear to the listeners in case there was any confusion. <laughs> I've had kind of a hard day, okay? <laughs> going on. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so Ellie is ordered to hide in the closet, which seems to confuse her briefly as Jessica and Cassidy search for the phone. And this is where they are confronted by Kyle. And he is very worried about his father's political aspirations. So he had previously ordered Jessica to basically keep any shenanigans under wraps. Like she couldn't have a big controversy or else it would look bad on him and therefore his father. And the girls are like, uh, are you the killer? So they hide in the bathroom. (laughs) It's so dumb, right? This is so silly. And I love every fucking second of it. Because watching this the first time, I was so deflated. I was like, oh, fuck, it is Kyle. It really like, that's, is Kyle. Yeah. Right. That really fucking sucks. And yeah, then we get the bathroom. Oh, also the delivery of... Oh, who lit the house on fire? Shit. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, like, the house is on fucking fire. But it's like, it, she just has, it like, an inconvenience. Like, it's a first world problem almost. It's like, who lit the yes. house on fire? <laughs> also, so in case y'all thought Jessica was not a total bitch um bear in mind the reason they have to hide in the bathroom is because her phone rings the phone that cassidy literally asked her two minutes ago where's your phone and she goes i don't have it (laughs) she just didn't want to save them basically yeah (laughs) (laughs) so they do discover megan's corpse in the bathroom this is where we get the iconic oh she looks terrible line (laughs) it's her rotting skeleton of a corpse like it is I <laughs> it is eight months later, folks. She, she is like a bag of bones with a couple of meat chunks on it. Yeah. But she's still standing. Like she's standing up in this time. <laughs> oh, I thought she was like hooked up. Well, okay, nevertheless though, why are her bones connected? Why if she's this right. dried out, why are their joints still there connecting her bones? They also dropped her into a well and the thud that we heard when she hit <laughs> right. the ground and her, her skeleton is like perfectly intact. I don't, that makes no sense to me. Clearly, Audrina Partridge was drinking her milk. She was, no, yeah. She's terrible. <laughs> she's terrible. <laughs> so that joke cannot land because we are already moving on because out of nowhere, this is when Andy bursts in and kills Kyle with an axe. So twist reveal, Andy is the killer, Kyle is now dead. Okay, so, look, this will be my last one of your quotes, Joe. You might, you'll probably still agree with it. 
What, dear lord, was everyone smoking when they came up with Andy's truly atrocious motivation for committing the murders? Sweet Jeebus. That may be one of the stupidest reveals I have ever seen in a slasher, and I have seen a lot of slashers. You better it is drag. a pretty stupid reveal, but <laughs> again, if you're thinking of the comedy, then it's yeah. very stupid funny, because it's just like, wait, your plan was to protect her by killing everyone around her. Got it. I think what bothers me more is the fact that he just 180s on it almost immediately. Like, he says, okay, we're oh, going to yeah. kill the rest of them, and then she says, no. And then he just immediately tries to kill her, to which I say, well, wait, why did you go to all this effort to protect her then? Shouldn't you, like, try to knock her out and just, like, move her body and then kill the others or something? It's, eh. I think he just needed a reason to kill. Maybe to make right. himself feel better about himself. Yeah, because he's quick to, yeah, just murder the woman that was <laughs> causing him to kill everybody. So maybe he just needed something to fucking start cutting into people. Mm-hmm. normally yes that would bother me but because his motive is just so dumb i wanted to save your future and kill everyone who knew about it so you wouldn't have to do de- it is so fucking dumb <laughs> it's i will well. say the the kind of like privilegy stupid yes! line that he has where he says reputation comes from the company you keep and the Ugh. company you keep bitches bitches it's like oh that is kind of the summation of this movie and if you were trying to make an argument that this film is feminist i would say look at not just how the male characters are not characters but how they try to control women by keeping them in line with preconceived notions about like what is and is not acceptable behavior Mm -hmm. while also calling them bitches right again it falls on its face with its empowerment that it's trying to display so desperately yeah and we do get some more comedy. I mean, we get the aforementioned what I said, where it's like, oh, you, let's go kill Ellie. You always said we should do more things together. We also get yeah. the, well, I didn't kill Garrett. Can I get some credit there? <laughs> and Stuart Hendler's directing. I mean, I don't think there's anything outstanding about the direction of this film, minus that opening sequence, which does set the bar pretty high. But mm-hmm. there's a great shot in this scene when basically he's like, coddling Cassie Cassidy and he's like holding her but the camera pans out to a long shot so they're on frame left and then frame right is Jessica's pinned corpse against the wall (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah because we actually have jumped over that that he just also immediately murders Jessica so if you were a Leah Pipes fan in this role she's now Denzo it is a bit of a deflation right it's an anticlimactic death on her part yeah. They, did, they did her Again, dirty. It's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, but I want to chase, or she yes. needs something bigger. Yeah, the bitch deserves that. I mean, if we're, again, kind of throwing it back to 80s, I guess. Like, when you look right. at Wendy in Prom Night and her chase scene, which is, like, mm, jaw-dropping, right. I, I gag constantly. Yes. Yeah, so if we're going to have somebody who's that bitchy and that, you know, insane in this film, then, yeah, give her something. Make her death a little bit more memorable. Um, it was kind of disappointing. You know what, Adrian, though? So... It- that's a good point, but I, and I talked about this with Joe before you got on the call earlier, but that was an issue I had with the original film as well, because the head bitch in that one, Vicky, also doesn't get a very memorable death. You're right. It's really quick, it's really fast, and you're like, oh, like you kind of built this girl up to be the girl, right? and you don't give her like a big set piece of a death, so I do get it. It works better for me here, if only because at least like she dies doing what she was doing best, <laughs> and just right. didn't work Mouthing this time. Off. <laughs> yeah but no yeah i mean I, I would never turn down a jessica chase scene here right yeah uh 
alas, it was not to be. Instead, we have to dedicate our attention to both Ellie and Maggie, who are the only two left in play. So Maggie <laughs> is surrounded by fire as a result of that Molotov cocktail in the living room. So Cassidy ends up trying to go against Andy here. She ends up falling through the floor, and she is only saved by that bracelet that Miss Crenshaw gave everybody. But she's basically stuck there for most of the climax. So (laughs) it falls to Ellie to come in and save the day with the shotgun. She blasts Andy in the stomach, and then he falls through the floor when it collapses, and he does a slow-motion, fiery death. Um... That bracelet would not support her weight. And I know that she does not weigh that much. (laughs) In the slightest. It looks cheap. Yeah. Is this silver? Silver plated. Silver plated. plated. Exactly. So I'm on Jessica's side, though, because that shit would not. No, not even. It could really hold. No, I can't. I mean, clearly she bought the 50 of them. So they probably came from Claire's or something (laughs) like that. uh, When you say Claire's, I thought you meant like Claire in the movie. And I was like, why would Claire have these things? Oh my God. Well, she had a whole Etsy shop set up before Etsy was a thing. (laughs) She was selling them on QVC in the evenings. (laughs) Oh my God. My favorite pastime was legitimately staying up on Halloween night. This is how pathetic I was. Wait, on Halloween? On Halloween. I was 12 years old. Listen, okay. When I would come home late at night from literally just obviously stuffing my face all night at like literally from like age 10 to like 13 i would sit there and i would watch like at 2 a.m i would watch them sell halloween things on qvc because they're always nice. a little bit cheaper because halloween just ended okay okay getting yourself a deal yeah that's what i was doing that's who i was as a child so <laughs> i love that <laughs> Uh, So Andy is dead, but the danger is still there. They got to get out of the house. The three of them manage to. We got a iconic slow motion walk away from a fiery house as firemen arrive to put out the flames. I will say that um, in the commentary, both Rumor Willis and Brianna Evigan, they're like, oh my God, look, they're swaying. Like the way they're walking. Mm hmm. Because, like, when you film slow motion, you're not supposed to actually, like, as the actor, move in slow motion. And apparently when they were doing that shot, they actually just were, like, kind of slowly walking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Filmmaking! (laughs) So we fade to black, and we come back 15 months later. The Theta Pi house has been completely reconstructed, and we see that Maggie is kind of in the center of one of those scary sorority girl pyramid chant things that have become a meme now. And we pull back to the end of the drive to reveal a scarred wrist, which, if you were paying attention earlier, will belong to Garrett, who is still alive. And he, maybe, is waiting for his revenge in the sequel we will never get. Never. Dang. Theta Pi says goodbye, Theta Pi says goodbye. It's like, girls, it's a one-line chant. You need something a little bit more substantial. Maggie didn't even doing that shit. They're doing it for nobody. Like, there's nobody there. Like, there's no <laughs> yeah. crowd watching them. Like, they're just movers. And they're just here at this door screaming. And you're like, for what reason, ladies? Why are we doing this? Like, nobody's around. I have seen this movie at least 15 times. And I have you never even thought about that. It's for a nobody. New film now. It's insane. Have you ever seen that video or that meme, I guess, where, like, the open authority door and it's literally, like, a whole bunch of... Uh, yes, that's gr- what I was referring to. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's scary. And it's even more terrifying when they're doing it for nobody. Mm-hmm. Just to anger Garrett, I suppose. Right. <laughs> trying to recruit servicemen, I guess. <laughs> what a bunch of bitches. Mm. 
So that is Sorority Row. Final thoughts, everybody. I enjoy the film. Um, again, watching it, <laughs> I do. I enjoy it. As a scholar, I enjoy the film. <laughs> I enjoy the hell out of this film. And yes, watching it with the modern lens, um, there's a lot of issues here, plot-wise, uh, just even with some of the jokes. I mean, we there's issues here, but I still think it it just it it does what slasher films do, and it's just it's campy. I mean, slasher as a genre itself, as a subgenre itself, it's just very campy, and it's very tongue-in-cheek a lot of the times, and it do- they don't take themselves seriously, and that's why it's like my favorite subgenre of horror. It always typically tiptoes comedy a little bit. So yeah. I think this film does that wonderfully, um, and I enjoy it, and it's one of the, it's a comfort movie for me, so I watch it at least <laughs> a couple times a year, because it's just, yeah. it's, nice. it's funny, it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that. I think this is a film that has taken me a while to come around to, but now that I can take it at face value with what it is doing, as opposed to looking at it as a regular slasher film, (laughs) I really have come to appreciate the humor in the film. Like, I think it's actually a stronger dark comedy where people are getting killed in slasher ways than it is a slasher film that has kind of meta comedy to it. And my biggest complaint, having watched the film numerous times, is that I just wish we maybe had fewer of them so we could develop them a little bit more and maybe spread out some of that runtime to get a couple of better chase scenes or death scenes. So, right, yeah, I've yeah. come around to it, though. Only took, you know, me constantly talking about it for like four years. Exactly. <laughs> No, but I, I, I'm I'm glad that you appreciate it. But I, mean, I don't even disagree with what you're saying. Like I, I do agree. Like if you if you take this movie as just a straightforward slasher film, it's gonna come up short for you. I just like I just <laughs> view it as fun. And Adrian, you are right. Like there are parts that haven't aged well. But you know what? There's a lot of John Waters that hasn't aged well. It's still considered a classic. Right. So you know what? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> Sorority Row is like John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I love this movie. I think it's a total blast. I love showing it to people because this and something like Zombievers, it's movies that people, like, when you bring them up, if they haven't seen it, they're going to be like, uh, that's a shit movie. I'm not going to watch right. that. And then you make them watch it. You can watch them. You change their mind. Well, you can watch them begin to realize that it's really fun. If dumb, yes, this is a dumb movie, but I do think it's very fun. Because I haven't seen Piranha 3D in a while, but I wouldn't mind double featuring this with Piranha 3D just to compare the... Because, I mean, that came out the year after this. Right. Just to compare uh, Goldfinger and Stolberg's, like, comedy in the two. Right. And before I'm, I'll, we sign off, I just like I, I will reiterate, if anyone has the Blu-ray of this, please watch the commentary. It is picture in picture. It is literally like you watch the movie, but like there's just a little picture in the corner of the director with the four actresses, and then you get to watch them watch the movie, and that's really fun, too. Mm-hmm. It is not a deep commentary. It is not, like, you're not going to come away with any new insights, but <laughs> it's like you're watching the movie with them in, like, a party atmosphere, and like it's just really right. fun to watch. Sounds pretty enjoyable. Yeah, it is. <sighs> but before we sign off and announce what we're covering next week, Adrian, yes. A... Thank you for coming on to talk about this. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) And let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? And, you know, what do you want to plug? Okay, well, for me personally, you can follow me everywhere, pretty much. Adrian Ray with two E's, R-A-E-E. And obviously, check out my podcast, Slash Her. Um, Our handle on everything as well is at slash underscore her underscore pod. Next month, we're diving into our Summer of Slash event where we are covering typical slasher films that 
I guess have more of a campy vibe is kind of what we're going for. Not like campy, the term, like camping at a camp. So that's kind of what we're aiming for. So check it out next month. And yeah, thanks again so much for having me. I really had a good time. Oh, <laughs> of <pleasure>. course. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. You can also find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've, we've covered and go to our YouTube channel to watch our Micro Queers recordings because those are real fun. That sounded really bad, but they're, they're, they are fun. It's just like <laughs> we're not used to video. <laughs> if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, but we love Apple Podcasts because that helps us out. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. This episode is dropping the last day of June, which means July is here, and we've got a new month of exclusive content for our patrons. Uh, we'll have episodes on the Fear Street Trilogy and A Quiet Place Part 2, as well as Shutter exclusives, Werewolves Within, and Vicious Fun, and the new Megan Fox uh, horror film, I think? <laughs> Till Death. <laughs> Question mark? I don't know. But it's Megan Fox, so, you know, let's support her. Yeah. Joe? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about next week? And this is going to be very much a you film, so <laughs> to pay me back for this one. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Yeah. So we might find a little bit more of a substantial feminist commentary when we hop over to France so that we can talk about Raw. Woo! Which is a film that I love and Trace thinks is fine. I think it's <laughs> um, So I'm going to bring it to you next week. No, I'm excited. This is a film that, again, at festival hype, like, it's like, oh, this is the film you have to see. And I saw it at a festival, and I was kind of like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm ready to have my mind changed. Well, on that note, we can cross out Sorority Row. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.